The Fend, brought to you by George's Fine Meats in Cherrybrook. Hey all, welcome to a special edition of The Fend. It's just me, Horsey. Jimmy's taken a couple of days off as he recovers after the Tigers season ended in pretty dismal circumstances last weekend. Well, as you all know, the finals are upon us. And for the Parramatta Eels and the vast blue and gold army, that means another chance to break a premiership drought stretches now for 35 long years. I'm going to play you a documentary, Eels 86, that I produced along with good friends Brian Baker from B Media and Aaron Hare. It's all about Parramatta's last premiership year of 1986. What a year. We released Eels 86 on NRL.com at the start of the season, but I figured it's worth another run as Para prepare for another shot at the title. Over the next half hour, you'll hear from Eels legends, Ray Price, Mick Cronin, Peter Sterling, Brett Kenny, Eric Groth, the guru, Peter Wynn, and for a bit of balance, one of their opponents from the grand final that year, Bulldogs forward, Paul Dunn. Ladies and gentlemen, grand final time. I know some people might say, how could he know he was going to win? The electric Eels of Parramatta. I knew we were going to win because we were the better side. You can take everything else off me as far as all the things I've done in rugby league, but I wouldn't like you taking the competitions off me. This man is a rugby league, Michael Cronin. If you said, what's the one thing you're not going to take? I said, well, you're not going to take the premierships. And... Number seven, can I give you the Dallingham half of the year, the player of the year, the master, Peter Sterling. I think 86 to me really resonates because we'd won in 81, 82, 83, got beaten in the grand final in 84, didn't make the grand final in 85, and I think there might have been a little bit of a consensus there that we were kind of on our way out. There might have been some doubters there. How would you encapsulate the year 1986 for you? First trial game of the year, I lost the side of my right eye. I always found Des Hasler hard to tackle, but we both went high. It was one of our own players, I think it was Mark Laurie. Um, both Mick and, and Pebbles went into a tackle. and um, Accidental, Mark sort of went to grab him and so did um, the crow on the other side and um, Mark's finger went in his eye. At that stage, I thought my career was over. Caused a fair bit of damage, so yeah, he was didn't think he'd play again. Actually, thought that was uh, that was the end of him. The first doctor that saw me said the eyes buggered. You won't be able to see out of that. I thought so. I thought well, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm going on 35, and you know, I was prepared. To, you know, if you're 20, you might be prepared to risk the side in the other eye. But that stage, I'm thinking, oh well, it's all over. Uh, after about three or four weeks, I started to feel a bit better, and you know, you sort of start thinking and. 
Probably on the second day when I started to feel alright, I realised how much I missed the game and how much I would miss it, so I decided if it was all possible I would come back this year. Probably the things I'd find a bit different on the right hand side, I'd probably got my head around a bit further to see supports. Well, when I decided I wanted to play in 86, it was just like a normal year. I think once you get injured, you know, you just wait till you're right and you come back again. And nothing changed on my point of, from my point of view once I decided I wanted to play again. Why do I play? Well, I've still got a few things I'd like to achieve, probably another premiership with Parramatta, and there's still a few other challenges there. is the day to be celebrated for the first sporting event ever to be played at Parramatta Stadium. Uh, well, five years or so, we'd, we'd sort of had no real home ground, although we did play at Belmore in all our home matches, but it just wasn't the same. And now with Parramatta Stadium, which was really back then, was a state-of-the-art stadium then. And that was the ideal opening to the season that we wanted. We'd had the, the, the Queen come out and, and gone, gone through the, the pomp and the ceremony and then we, we, we got into that first game and anything but a win would have just been a real, a real downer. To play the Dragons, it was a, a very special day, and and um, to win as convincingly as we did, yeah, that was very special. And that's the fourth tackle. Here's Sterling back. It goes for Sharp. Steve Sharp scores the first try in first grade. No frills football. Simple stuff. And St George eventually cracked. I remember I was able to score a try, come up with a try towards the end there. It was a nice pass from Albert to me and uh, come up with a try. So, uh, yeah, it was it. Oh, intercepted by Brett Kenny. Probably the best hands in rugby league. And he sprints away to score another Kenny intercept try. Yeah, it was it. It was um, certainly a great day. And it, was a, you know, it was a great day for Parramatta and all their fans. Picks up that ball beautifully out of the air and scores... A very nice try, thank you. I think that was one of the reasons why we were so successful. It wasn't just the talent. The talent was great, but but it was, I think, the way we all got on so well together. And, and We stuck together throughout the year there. John Money did really well to sort of do do things like on Saturday morning training and that we'd have the barbecues anyway and, and then we'd get together sort of after a game or or before a game and or a Saturday night or whatever and price his place and, and, and have a few uh, sherbets. Mate, morale is the most important thing. How else are you gonna get them to talk on the field if you can't get them to talk to you at a barbecue or something like that? Well, that was always a joke. He said, you go to Pricey's place for a barbecue, you get everything you want because you've got to bring your own beer and your own steaks. Silent in the background. <laughs> and so the first sporting event on the new Parramatta Stadium comes to its end. Bridge charged down by Price. He says, play on. Here comes Kenny. Kenny's coming up. Price. Kenny goes outside. Kenny. Brett Kenny scores. Bell made have done very well in the Panasonic Cup, so you knew you're in for a tough game, and to win that by such a big score, you knew that you're, you're really in the mix. Darling, Ella's with it. Flick pass.
Brett's the most naturally gifted player our game has seen. You know, he's up there with the Steve Rogers and, and these kind of guys who just moved beautifully. Like they, um, they made it look so effortless and grace, such grace about it. There's the siren. The cup final is over for 1986. That was great, you know, to be to be part of that. And you know, a lot of teams probably didn't take it that seriously. Yeah, it was a, it was a nice way to sort of move on and say, well, we've won this competition, there's one left. There's the cup, held aloft, and the cheque for $131,000. Completes the presentation ceremony as far as... The Bulldogs were the side that we knew if we were going to win a premiership, we would have to be better than they are. Coming from a packed stadium here at Parramatta. They've beaten us in the, uh, the final in 79, they've beaten us in the grand final in 84, they've beaten us in the final in 85, so they were a world credential team. And any Parramatta Bulldogs game, you know, drew a lot of, um, lot of interest, and from a player's point of view, you knew you were in for a tough game. And it's uh, Terry Lamb who picked it up on the half volley. intimidated by anybody. It was more we were trying to intimidate them, I suppose. They gave as good as they got. This Canterbury defence is hitting just as hard now as it was when this match opened. Now Sterling and Gillespie are trading punches, and Gillespie is really working overtime on Sterling. But yeah, there's no love lost between the two teams. Fairly good mates off the field, and we played State of Origin together with, um, with each other, and yeah, I mean, we, we got to know them in a, in a different light. But we still hated hated them, and they hated us, and, and they were tough. No, no, no bullshit games, but they were just tough, you know. Peter Dunks from dummy half has scored. I had to have a few operations because it just to, to the heel, the cut in the eye. So then I just said, oh, well, I'll give it a crack, see how I go. I started mucking around it. On my brother kicking me a few footballs, so then I decided to, to see the year out. But a win in today's match takes on even greater importance when you look at the race for the semi-final. And today sees the return to first grade of Michael Cronin, the champion centre three-quarter. The coach showed some faith in me and, some, and a couple of the players that you know, sort of encouraged me. Us guys like myself, Sterlo, Zip, Eric, um, Neil Hunt, David Lydia, we all got together and thought, you know what, we when he was coming back to play, we sort of thought, well, you know, we should start doing things now. All those years, he was there. It was like he was the boss and we just do what he wanted us to do and, and he was in control and said, no, we've all had enough experience now. We should start doing things and just make life easy for him while he's back. Today's match comes from Brookvale Oval. A win for Parramatta today will see them become 1986 minor premiers. Sterling, 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 he's over! He's done it himself, the little fellow! He played Manly at Brookvale in the final game. Winning that game, and that was, that was a big one. I still remember the crowd was pumping and Manly were a good side. But we, we won that game and that gave us the minor premiership. Up sharp, sharp to growth, they won't catch growth! And to have that week off, that was... That was a huge result for us. Realising that the minor premiership and the club championship go back to O'Connell Street, Parramatta. Mate, we desperately needed this week off and, and that's why we played our grand final out there.
Yeah, if we didn't win that game, so I'm not sure what position we would have finished, but uh, it means all you had to do is win one game, you're in the grand final, and that's what happened. The Eels come into the game as the 1986 minor premiers, and a win will see them go straight to the grand final. And dummies to Price, gives it to Kenny! 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 Scores in the Paddington Hill corner! First try of the major semi! Brett Kenny was at his best, of course, in those games. He seems to score tries at all the main, all the main events. It's uh, no knock on, Kenny. I think you'll find it hit him right in the middle of the try, and you can forget about it. Everything seemed to go right for us on the day, and and didn't go right for them, and and uh, we end up winning the game quite comfortably in the, in the finish. But um, and it was it was nice to be able to do that because now we had a little bit more confidence. Laurie kicks into the middle. Chambers will score. Yes. But on what we've seen today, I think we've seen the 1986 Premiers playing, and uh, they're wearing blue and gold. There's a siren. It's over mercifully for Canterbury. We're not that worried about the fortnight break. Um, we'll train hard. We'll come out. Um, Revved up as hard as ever again. Remember that week off, we trained hard. He mainly flogged us. You know, he had the two reserve grade, because both sides were in the grand final. And he trained so hard out here in the, in the lead up to the grand final. I was going to retire. Um, and let me tell you, I was never at any stage going to be a loser. Look, I never decided I was going to retire. I knew I, I was going to retire, but I never thought Pricey would retire. I thought he could go another year, but... I knew Crow was retiring. Because of his eye, uh, I knew he was retiring. And what better person to go out with? <laughs> no, we talked about a lot of things, but never retirement pact. No, that was never mentioned. And people kept saying, well, it's obviously that I'd be going to retire for just for the obvious reasons, but... I don't know what got Ray into Ray's head. Ladies and gentlemen, grand final time. Mick never moved from Gerringong, beautiful part of the world. We went out to warm up and he hadn't been sighted, which wasn't ideal. Half an hour before the before the game. Remember that, yeah, everybody's in the change room getting changed because no no Mick Cronin, where is he? We, we knew that uh, he'll be here eventually, but he got caught. One stage there was kind of um, it was very tight as to whether he was actually going to get there for kickoff or, or play at all. There was an accident, and and he, he was telling us that he, you know, sitting in the car, and he's realising there's something seriously wrong. And we really didn't find out until, yeah, I, I certainly didn't find out until after the game what had happened. He was caught in a bushfire down there on uh, the Princess Highway. Right, and it was a big, I think, you know, it's about 16 or 18 cars involved. He got out of the car and he could see policemen up ahead, so he's walked up and he said to him, I shouldn't be here. And they obviously knew who he was. Crow's not the kind of guy who's going to go up there and make a fuss or anything, you know, so... Luckily he was able to speak to someone who got him escorted. And uh, next thing, he got a police escort all the way to the Sydney Cricket Ground. I'm thinking, it could only happen to one person, Mick Cronin, that'd be it. No police escort, that's one of the good stories. It's one of the good stories. It's the worst fog I've seen in the 10 years I was travelling up. You couldn't see from here to a car in front of you. And all of a sudden I come across this accident. I think there might have been 10 or 15 cars running in the back of each other. And I'm probably 100 metres back from the accident. And I look at a bloke, one of the workers on the side of the road, and I jokingly said, mate, I shouldn't be here. And he said, look, oh, he said, oh, I said, I know who you are. He said, look, follow me. He said, I'll get you around the accident. He said, there'll be nothing in front of you. So he helped me get around the accident and then I, as I said, you couldn't see where you were going, but there's a good chance that 
All the other cars were held up behind the ten that run into each other. He, he cut it fine, but he was there. He was there early enough. The electric eels of Parramatta. And is it true before the game, roast tattoos, we can't be beaten, came on? Oh, it's an interesting, interesting one. I, my mind will have to go back and think about that. It <laughs> sounds like up. a price song, doesn't it? <laughs> it was roast tattoo, we can't be beaten. And let me tell you, we weren't going out onto that field to be beaten. motivating fact was the fact that we won the 81, 82, 83 Premiership and we didn't want Canterbury to win the 84, 85 and 86 Grand Prix. That was a motivation itself. Like to win three Premierships in a row is a pretty tough thing to do and um, the Bulldogs were on the cusp of that and so I think that was a little bit of motivation itself. This man is rugby league, There's things I've seen from a player in the history of Paramount, the fact that he came back with a, a bust on. I think he had a couple of busted ribs too in that grand final. He hurt his ribs leading up to it, you know. So for him to come and actually play, I think it inspired the team that it was in, that played that day and also inspired the fans as well, the fact that Michael Crone was playing another grand final. We ran out. I, I remember saying, I remember uh, being pumped up and, and running past Mick Crone and, and I said to Brett and a few of the guys that were around as we were running out, Let's do this for Mick, you know, let's do this for Mick and Ray. And he heard that and he said, don't do it for me or Ray, do it for yourself. And I remember, remember those words that sort of, they stayed with me that, yeah, that was um, how, how calm and collected Mick Cronin was. I'll be honest, I, I would have felt a lot more comfortable if I had it known that we weren't playing the Bulldogs in the grand final. Number 11, They'd been the best team all year, um, but we were, we were still confident that we could beat them. Like we had a really good win the week before against Balmain. You know, we just had a really good team. Chris Cronin gets his grand final off and running. Good luck to you both, no matter who you're barracking for. Breeze, of course, very strong behind Canterbury. Stan should be going in at halftime with a six or eight point advantage. Because we won the game so well in the, in the major semi-final, I, yeah, I was a little bit taken aback thinking, oh, they're going to come out and try and smack us and, and really run over us. And... So that was the sort of, whereas we were painted as being the bad guys, they were the, you know, beyond reproach and purer than the driven snow and, you know, let's go out and beat the crap out of them. <laughs> A short ball for Ella. Ella to Delroy. Delroy, oh, gee. The Sterling on to Bugden. Bugden, oh! Folks with a swinging arm, he's given McDelroy plenty to remember the 1986 grand final for. <laughs> he's about to get fouled off. Price getting some attention. It might sound funny, but I think in a lot of ways it was a sign of respect. Um, I always remember Peter Tunks would say he always felt he was probably the best forward he ever played against, Ray Price, and, and um, the things they used to do, you know, that always given it to him. and and, um, and But to hear him say that, you think, well, there yeah, was in it. In a, in a roundabout way, it was a sign of respect that they knew they had to try and do something to get him off the field. And um, so they did what they, they could get away with and, and it didn't work. You know, Price was just one of those tough guys, just kept coming back. The harder you hit him, the harder he'd come back. And... Here's Langmack. Langmack runs towards O'Brien. O'Brien, oh, jolted by Price. Price hit him with everything, bar his back teeth. They didn't learn the fact that they could try and take him out of it, but he would just keep bouncing back, you know. He, like I said, he looked like he was dead, but he, all of a sudden he'd just get back up again and, and go again and make another 50 tackles. It's Sterling away from... Oh, Price! Dunn is screaming at, at Price.
I think everyone was just sick of him by that time, you know, he's praying mantis antics and, you know, he'd get hit and he'd, you know, roll around the ground. But he didn't hurt, he didn't hurt me that much. So how would you describe Canterbury's relationship with Ray Frost? Yeah, love hate. He loved hating. There's a reason why people hate Pricey. <laughs> because he probably hated most of them. Guy's <laughs> a champion. You know, he could still play as good as some people with one eye. Here's Cronin from right in front and he hits it ordinarily. Well, what a miserable day Cronin's having off the boot. He wasn't the, uh, the greatest of goalkeepers uh, with that one eye, but, yeah, it still um, got us there. I'd be doubtful whether they, they had a better year and they're all their careers than Sterling and Kenny that year. What, like you play with him, you take things for granted, but watching them, you, th you thought, geez, how good are these two? Way now it goes to Sterling. Sterling puts the kick in. It's a big in goal. Sixworth has it. Oh, it's a try! It's a try! No, he said no try! I thought it was a try, but um, having since seen videos and replays of it, uh, you could see that there was a bit of a gap between my arm and the ball, just as it um, just as it hit the ground. No doubt, Brett Kenny had the ball. I threw a lot of bad passes through my career. I threw intercepts. I threw balls that hit the ground. But if I could take one pass back, it was one I threw to Mick Cronin in the, the decider. Sterling calls on Cronin to have a run. And when I threw it. To this day, I know he didn't see it. He still hasn't seen it. And somehow caught it and took the ball out. And this was at a crucial stage in a tight game. And if I could have brought a, a pass back to me, that's the one through my career I would never throw on because it just put him into a, a position. And it was only when the ball was arriving that I thought, oh, this could end really badly. But he, he caught it and hit the ball out and got us off our way along. By Parramatta, Price has picked it up at the back of the scrum. And Price will play it eight metres out from the Canterbury line. And it's a penalty to Parramatta. He knows that he's missed two sitters, but he also knows there's not many behind him that can do the job any better. There he goes. That looked better for Cronin. He's got it. Yes! Michael Cronin kicks the first goal of the grand final. For Parramatta to lead by two points to nil. Canterbury's left, Parramatta's right as it goes out to Kenny. Kenny and Sterling the run around and there's Cronin. Cronin to Groth. Groth. Mortimer's after him. Groth beats Mortimer. Kenny's waving to him on the inside. Will he pass the ball? There's Kenny with a goal. Kenny. 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 Oh, it's a it's no try. It's a penalty for a double move. I remember on the, on the day that, yeah, I thought that was a dead set try and then um, watching it on video replay and stuff, I think, yeah, that, today that would be a try. Today it would have been a try. Uh, I don't think his ball-carrying arm touched the ground um, and he, got the, he eventually got the football down. Well, I could see, well, you could see the red grass because it was the Winfield colours. You know, thought, I'm in the try, goal, in goal here, so I've just naturally thought I've got to get the ball down, left over the top. Whether or not they would have classed it as a try today, I don't know, but, but um, yeah, unfortunately it wasn't. Wasn't a try. I bet you Brett said they were both tries. <laughs> <laughs> he got him. I think he might have, did he, son? <laughs> <laughs> He's been whinging about it ever since. Steve Mortimer goes from dummy half. He's put his foot down. He kicks over the top. It'll be a penalty, I believe, for Canterbury. Right in front of the uprights. It was a late tackle by Sterling on Mortimer.
Uh, that, that was one of Turvey's great plays, was the chip and chase. And when he got into open space with his speed, it was pretty much shut the gate. But I tried to make it look as though I was committed to the tackle and I didn't hit him. I brushed him, but the speed he was travelling, he was always going to go to the ground. I thought a penalty was probably a good result. Terry Lamb gets the penalty goal for Canterbury to draw level. They beat us 6-4 in the um, 84 grand final. They beat St George 7-6. When we were going out, I always remember John Manny saying, he said, no one's going to win this game. He said, it'd be nice if we're in front at the end. Cronin now, a chance to put Parramatta in front by four points to two. He hits it, he likes it. It's a goal for Cronin, it's a goal for Parramatta, and the Eels lead by two points. That was one call that completely went our way. Canterbury could have set up the drop goal. A little kick by, oh, Brett Kenny has been hit around the chin. He set him up. It is Phil Sixworth. It was a terrible call. He should never have got sent off. I honestly didn't think he would have been sent off. I thought it was, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't something he did deliberately. But I remember Sterlow saying to me, "Stay down, Bert. Stay down. This, we'll get a penalty out of this." <laughs> well, I've already told you, Bert tells a lot of lies, and they seem to to involve me um, when we know that the bottom line is that I made him look good for a decade. Canterbury down to 12 men now. He got more than a penalty. Better. The Bulldogs player was sent from the field, left them with 12 men. Funny thing was that their reaction was better than ours. You know, they, they really put the bit between the teeth and they came at us harder than ever. So it galvanised them to you know, really come hard at us despite the fact they were one down. Parramatta are at sixes and sevens. Pressure, pressure for Parramatta. Canterbury throwing it on now. They're the defending premiers. They want this one and they want it bad. Yeah, it was... It was um... Pretty scary, you know, you're looking and you think, Jesus, they just kept coming at us and coming at us. And Five metres out, Steve Mortimer, blindside, oh, they're not over. They're in the touch. It was so close. I think it's the best tackle I ever made because if you have a look at it, everybody's kind of forgotten where the football is. And I could see the football, I could see Jersey, but I could see the ball was in a position where it actually could get to the try line. So I just went to the ball. I didn't play much role in the tackle about make, apart from making sure that my hands were under the ball um, and didn't get to the try line. Like we had numbers there but it was it was that tight and to me when I think of the 86 grand final that's what I think of. I think of that tackle, I think of that desperation and I think of, of that of that will to stop a great Canterbury side in their tracks at the death. Hagen spreads it to Mortimer. Mortimer to his brother. Out the back for Steve. Ray Price obliged to make the tackle. Andrew Farrow goes into the middle. There was a tackle on Mortimer. Without the ball, the touch judge has gone in. It'll be a penalty to Canterbury. Well, they'll take the kick at goal, I think, for sure. He's 35 metres out. The season's highest point scorer. Can he level the grand final? He hits it. I was hoping he missed. <laughs> I was hoping he missed. I was okay. I, I, he was a good goal kicker, but I remember the conditions. Like uh, the wind wasn't helping. He was a fair way out. The angle wasn't great. And it's Peter Sterling with the ball. It's no goal, and Sterling is tackled. When he missed it, I, I was very surprised. I, I thought he would have got it, but yeah, that, uh, that straight away the. 
thinking we've got a, you know, we've got a good chance of, of winning this. Every time they attacked the line, we had uh, three or four people stopping them from penetrating into the line. So, yeah, it, it all comes as all your mates get together and you stop them from getting across the line. Seconds remaining as the ball goes out to Steve Bottomer. A long ball. It's gone out to Lima. They're going to score the dogs. No, it was knocked down. A six more tackle. I got tackled sort of from me to your way. The, the try line Mark Bugden went to dummy half and he went to the right like he did in 84. There were about 10 of them there. They stopped him. All they had to do was pass it to the left and we had a 29 man overlap. We would have scored it. Done to play the ball. Bugden's the dummy half. He'll go himself, Bugden. He's tackled. A meter from the line. There's the siren. Yeah, the first thing I looked at when the uh, the game finished was Crow. I looked over to where he was and we just walked around the field. And that's all we had to do was walk, just take everything in. I played all my career about wanting to win grand finals and be, to be lucky enough to go out on the last game winning after, you know, after what happened early in the year when realistically, as I said, the day after I hurt me, I'm thinking that's it, it's all over. So just a relief and, and look, it's a great thing that you, you do with a lot of blokes, especially blokes who are lifetime friends. Straight away went to Terry Lubin and I said, let's, let's grab the crow and the price and lift them up. And we got there, I went to put my head in there, I think Peter Wynn beat me to it. <laughs> um, and he, we lifted uh, Pricey and, um, and the crow and yeah, it was just such a, a special time for those guys. I mean, uh, yeah, just, they were just stalwarts for the game and for the club and, and for them to go out like that was just really, and that was part of that relief too at the end of the game that we did it for them. Yeah, it's the way they deserve to go out. You know, so often in our game, you don't get the right ending. Uh, you don't get to choose it. But for two Warriors like Price and Cronin to be on the shoulders doing a victory lap is the exact proper way that they should have not only left the club, but left the game. And um, obviously when we when we won, you'd straight away you just thought, well, this will be it for them. They'll, they won't come back next year. And, the idea of Nick um, Cronin and Ray Price having their last game in their last season being winners was, yeah, that was very special. One of the things I remember is right at the end of the game and, and just knowing we'd won and, and, and then just going over and, and talking to Mick and just saying thanks, you know, for what he'd done. moment of my career and it'll be the last time I ever play here. Thank you. It was so important to go out a winner and Parramatta let me do that because of all the mateship that was in that side. He's the greatest competitor I've ever been around. You know, I, I often use the analogy that there was a ball on the ground and six players dived on it. Ray would be the last one up. He'd have blood streaming from his head, but most importantly, he'd have the ball tucked under his arm. Now, he was he was phenomenal. He's, he was a warrior in the true sense of the word. Um, and when you looked at him, 
Now, he was pretty lean. There wasn't much of him. Like, compared to the forwards these days, and you have a look at the size, and um, Ray was, you know, Ray was, was nowhere in that, that hemisphere. He was just gristle and bone and muscle um, and wants and desire and dedication. He was, he's the greatest player Parramatta has ever seen. And you know, the Crows up there and, and the Mayor, Ken Thornett, you know, all the great players, but Ray Price is the, is the best player that our club has ever seen because of the way he played it, because of the way he led, because he left no stone unturned in his own pursuit of, of excellence and he expected everybody to be the same. Ladies and gentlemen, you come forward as the first recipient of the Clive Churchill Medal? Probably there between Stella and Steve Mortimer. You know, he still had to be at his best that day, and he was, fortunately. The back's been pretty crook of late. He's bending over, picking up those passes, making it look as if he threw a great pass. But, oh, look, you know, he's, he's been a great player, Stella, and, um, you know, they, they talk about immortals. You know, realistically, I think he's got to be close to being one. Uh, um. I played all right, but to this day, I still know that Paul Taylor was the best player on the field. That game. How many tackles has Taylor made at this stage? It must be already at astronomical heights. As we I do think sometimes they got us mixed up during the course of games and maybe that one. But Paul Taylor, he was a difference in a lot of ways. Like he was phenomenal. Realistic the day you couldn't pick up legs like Pricey, um, Sterling, Kenny. Grace and um, Ella, they, on the day's rate, they'd be all between 800,000 and a million, you know, so you wouldn't have kept them all together under the salary cap. And there was a few others there that had been on a bit as well, so. We are sick of the conversation being about the golden 80s, about the halcyon days of the club. We, we, want, we want that to be now. It's been way too long. We don't want our club history to be about what happened 30 odd years ago. And it's got to be about now. We need, it's got to be new times. Thank you for coming for the 1986 grand final. We'll see you next year. These blokes don't know what's going to hit them. We didn't know it hit us, but they don't know what's going to hit them when Parramatta win the grand final. Parramatta will celebrate for maybe for not weeks, not days, but months maybe. Players probably get fed up with people talking about us guys that won a premiership and you say, well, the best way to, to stop that happening is to go and win one yourself. And that's what they need to do. We've gone through some difficult times, but I think we're coming out the other side of it now and that needs to be a, a victory lap at the end of a grand final to put the exclamation mark on. And I, with my old teammates, will be cheering louder than anybody. We hope you enjoyed Eels 86, and if you want to see it with the pictures, you can find it on nrl.com.